Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey, everyone. Joyce here, and I could not be more excited to welcome Dr. Stuart McGill to our walk and talk today. Dr. McGill is a distinguished professor emeritus at the University of Waterloo, where he was a professor for 30 years. His laboratory and experimental research clinic has been investigating issues relating to the mechanics and the causes of back pain for decades, exploring how to rehabilitate back pained people and enhance both injury resilience and performance. His advice is often sought by governments and corporations and experts and medical groups and elite athletes and by me. Uh, he continues to serve as the Chief Scientific Officer for the BackFit Pro Inc. Uh, and likes to dig into difficult back cases. So Dr. McGill has also written several books, including The Back Mechanic, which is a book that literally sits on my bedside table uh, and I consult it regularly. So I'm honored and excited to have you. Welcome, Dr. McGill. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Joyce, and uh, I'm honored as well. I, I watch you on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. So I'm curious, I always find it fascinating how it is that people end up doing the work they do. How in the world did you get interested in the world of back pain? Uh, I took or completed my PhD in uh, spine biomechanics and then became a professor, only asking one simple question, and that was, how does the spine work? And uh, we developed a laboratory to investigate the loads inside people on their various uh, back tissues, shall we say. Then we created a, a cadaver lab to uh, load spines with loads that we thought were uh, either adaptive or injurious. And we, would, we were able to link very specific types of activities and loads with very specific types of back injuries. Then we uh, created an experimental research clinic. And uh, the unique part of that was we followed up with every patient we ever saw in the history of the clinic. So we know what they came in with, what subcategory of back pain uh, mechanism they had, what we advised them to do, whether they complied or not, and how they felt after two years. So we know exactly our score over that time. And then we did some uh, epidemiological studies of different work groups and different athlete groups to figure out why different back pain uh, pathways uh, cluster around specific occupations and specific sports. And then we did clinical trials at the end with um, exposing certain groups to certain uh, exercise modalities to see if it actually worked. So in summary for your audience, walking was actually an activity that we investigated 
from several perspectives. And uh, if you know back mechanic, you know it is nature's backbone. We were able to uh, prove that walking is almost non-negotiable for a healthy spine. Of course, I love that. And you know that I personally believe that. And I often share this story. My mother was a professional dancer with what she called a bad back. And back in the day, so my mom is in her mid-80s, so we're going back quite a while. And back in the day when she, and I'm using air quotes in a podcast, right? But when she threw out her back, that was the expression, she would take to her bed for days and move as little as possible. And it seems to me that the more recent research and your research shows that that may not be the best approach. Uh, for most people, uh, that's true. There is a small uh, subcategory of back pained people where walking does not help them, but those are usually older people and specifically injured. So not your listenership. Um, so most people walking is, uh, as I said, a non-negotiable activity in terms of uh, spine health. Um, Joyce, may I start with a scientific principle and then operationalize it for you? Please. Okay. So the spine by category is a flexible rod. And in order for the flexible rod to hold a compressive load, as if you were picking up your, your child out of a crib, for example, that flexible rod doesn't serve very well anymore. No engineer would take a flexible rod, stand it upright, and put load <laughs> on top. It would buckle. So instead, we have guy wires like on a ship's mast, guy wires in the front, in the sides, and in the back that are very strategically balanced to create a stiffening girdle around the flexible rod. So it's wonderful to have a flexible rod to tie your shoes before you go for a walk. But then if you have to carry a bag of shopping, you now need a guy wire system or girdle around the flexible rod to allow it to bear uh, that compressive load. So I mentioned the guy wires are in the front and the back, but also in the sides. As it turns out, about the most efficient way to train the lateral girdle, if you will, namely muscles like quadratus lumborum, uh, the lateral obliques, uh, the best way to train them is uh, walking. Now, how is that? Uh, consider the walking gait pattern. Uh, let's place our left heel on the ground for a heel strike, which allows our right leg to swing. The right side of the pelvis wants to drop with gravity downwards, bending the spine. But that lateral musculature in the torso is recruited to keep the pelvis level. So to stop stress concentrations uh, that would accumulate over time and not be good, the lateral core, shall we say, either sides of the uh, torso are rhythmically activated and uh, trained. Interestingly enough, it's, non, it, it's, it's a non-negotiable athleticism. Consider, uh, have you ever watched World's Strongest Man, Joyce? Oh. Of course I have. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a geek about that sort of stuff. So yes, I have. 
Yes, and you'll notice that there's always a walking and carrying event in World's Strongest Man because walking and loaded carriage is such a unique strength. And if you're weak in that, uh, Strong Man always has that event to reveal uh, that weakness. And uh, of course, you would start out with just regular, plain old uh, walking, but then add what is called a suitcase carry, which would be a heavy weight in one hand. A bottoms up kettlebell would be another form of a loaded carry. But uh, anyway, there's uh, a bit of a, a start on that. Oh, it, something just came to mind, which is also, uh, let's go to the other end. I've spoken about, uh, uh, athletes needing the ability to walk and carry and change direction. Let's go to the neurology ward uh, of the local children's hospital. And there might be a small boy or a small girl who has a uniquely paralyzed quadratus lumborum muscle on one side of their spine. Observe them walking. You will notice that let's say the left muscle the left quadratus lumborum was not uh, activating proper, properly because of a diseased state. If they planted their left leg and swung their right leg, there wouldn't be anything noticeable. But when they plant their right leg and swing their left leg, in other words, they need to hold the left side of their pelvis up, you will see that drop to the ground and their gait pattern would fail. And some of them actually even collapse to illustrate how important the health of the lateral core is and how essential it is to walking. And that, that we're not strengthening that with crunches, right? The people out there doing, I, I can do 500 crunches, so therefore my core is strong. It's much more nuanced than that. Is that right? You're absolutely correct. You know, you, if you go to the uh, normal, um commercial gym and walk around and see people doing uh squats and deadlifts and crunches and and uh, uh these sorts of exercises uh and then when you measure their general athleticism you will find that they are disproportionately weak in that frontal plane and it's exactly what i said the ability to walk and carry because that's not challenged in their current routine why is that, do you think? Why aren't we more focused on that in our traditional kind of fitness world and teaching? I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the word uh, traditional. Um, uh, this, it, I, I, <laughs> this may sound somewhat critical, but uh, there's a lot of training routines that aren't very creative. If you give a person a barbell, they will do barbell exercises. If you give them a kettlebell, they will do kettlebell exercises. How many will pick up that kettlebell and go for a walk? It's not something that is really conducive to a gym environment. But you know, Joyce, it's, it's funny when we get some of the heavy athletes who come to BackFit Pro because they have back pain. And they say, you know, I can squat uh, 200 uh, kilos or 450 pounds, but when I'm running down the gridiron, I plant the left leg and do a quick cut to the right 
that's my spine pain trigger. And we find that yet again, it's that frontal plane core. So they running is a is obviously upgraded walking. Uh, they don't have the frontal plane strength, which is the side to side strength. And when we measure that, we notice they are deficit. Uh, a test for that might be a side plank for holding time on your elbow and on your feet in the side plank. Uh, it, a good benchmark for someone who has a fit core, no real injury history, uh, et cetera, should be about a minute to give you a, a good idea. Now, if they can't hold it a minute, uh, my advice to them would be starting to walk, uh, walk up hills, down hills, climb stairs, uh, and that sort of thing, particularly if they've had a back injury. They can't tolerate heavy load, but that walking-based uh, program would uh, most likely give them the resilience for life that they're lacking. One of the things that I found really interesting in the back mechanic was an exercise, I, I, I use the word advi not advisedly, uh, you write about the different causes of back pain. And it's funny, when I, when I suffered my back injury, everybody's immediate reaction was go, go to a doctor, go get an MRI. And I, I was like, I don't think that's going to answer my question necessarily because I'm not going to have surgery. I'm not there yet. And I think it's, a, it's about figuring out kind of where this is coming from and what I can work through. So can you just talk through, and I'm not suggesting that people don't go to doctors and don't get the MRI. It's probably really good data to know what's going on. Um, but can you walk people through, pun intended, a little bit of what some of the things you should be thinking about if you are suffering from some back pain, where do you kind of start your analysis besides buying your book, which I recommend to literally everybody? Well, you know, this is just going to sell, sound self-serving because you have to start a person who has the symptom of back pain doesn't know the cause. And there's a multitude of causes that person would be best served by getting a thorough assessment of their back to understand uh, what the pathway to their particular pain is. Um, so that's, I hate to say this, but that's why I wrote Back Mechanic. It guides the reader through a self-assessment of their pain. And we're looking for very specific motions, postures, loads, and activities that cause their pain. And then we're looking for the same things that take their pain away. That forms the roadmap for showing them what they should stop doing and what they should be doing. And then that forms the program of appropriately tuning their body with mobile hips and mobile shoulders, uh, appropriately uh, stiffened, uh, uh, core, uh, core stiffness, core stability, whatever term you like to use. And uh, walking, as you know, is very much a part uh, of that. And uh, we can talk about interval training if, if you like to create a exercise dose that ensures positive adaptation 
of their tissues and their pain pathways rather than continual um, uh, changes that aren't taking them to a good place. Now, some people use the word degeneration. I, I don't particularly like that myself, but it, is, is that a start on answering that question? Yeah, and I, I think what that brings to mind for me is the importance of understanding that you can learn more personally about your pain and your back pain. And this was my journey. It wasn't about going to a doctor and having them figure it all out on their own. It has to be. I think I just would love for people to take a little bit more of an ownership of trying to understand what the triggers are and not necessarily self-diagnosing everything, but get yourself educated. Do you see that when people start to better understand their own bodies, they become better able to work through challenges? We get people here every day, as you know, Joyce, and they've been to a dozen different clinicians. If a person goes to a doctor with back pain and they're given a medication script, they haven't seen a back expert. They saw a person who gave up and said, well, take this and try and dull the pain, which is the symptom. It does nothing for that person to give them a, uh, a path to follow, a very specific pass, path that reduces the cause of their pain, which, uh, you know, if you gave me a pattern, uh, the person uh, says driving makes my pain worse, sitting at the computer for more than 20 minutes makes my pain worse, but walking for 20 minutes is my therapy. Good, now they have something very concrete to operate on. Uh, so, so there's a simple, uh, start on uh, on on that i love this idea of thinking about the musculature around your entire kind of core right we're so fixated on our four pack and our six pack and those front facing abs but really encouraging people to start looking at that entire core area and realizing that it's all as important, maybe more important? Uh, yeah, uh, I can comment that on that. I didn't hear a, a specific uh, question. Um, when you look at the most common pathways and subcategories of pain these days, uh, it very much is related to lifestyle and uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately the computer. Uh, the more a person sits, it's actually cumulative stress on the discs. Now, uh, if their antidote is the, then to go to the gym and really have an intense session for 45 minutes uh, after work at night, that's not necessarily the antidote for sitting all day. Uh, I can talk about the similarity in stress concentrations if you like. However, most people, if they are training to uh, avoid or get rid of back pain, simply walking would be a uh, more justifiable approach coupled with um, some core work, some hip and shoulder uh, work, but not lifting heavy weights uh, to undo those sitting stresses all day long.
I, I can talk about it. walking technique as well if you want to uh, go there to really propel okay. some of these specific athleticisms. Uh, let's hold that for just a moment because I want to go back to this idea that we're not doing ourselves any favors by sitting all day, which certainly I know. Uh, but I, I wonder, do you advocate walking at a kind of regular interval? So every hour, every 20 minutes, get up and walk for five minutes, or should you walk a longer period of time at some point in the day? Is there a prescription or is it really very individual? Uh, it's both, actually. The assessment will reveal the intervals for optimal health. So if a person has no uh, back pain, they could go for a walk for an hour every day uh, at the rate on the inclines, etc., that suit their past injury history, their current fitness, and all that kind of thing. Um, however, if a person uh, sits for 20 minutes and uh, that triggers their back pain, going for a three or four minute walk might be what's required to take the pain away. And if they, uh, if they took an hour, let's say, which is uh, 60 minutes, and if they sat for 45 minutes, walked for 10 and stood for five and just repeat that, uh, they would find uh, many of them, not all, of course, but many of them, their back pain would start to wind down its sensitivity and they would be gaining a, a bit more resilience. But, uh, you know, Joyce, I retired uh, from the university seven years ago. Uh, when I started in the uh, early 80s, my job, computers weren't really invented yet. We uh, had our, our meetings we would go to. Many of them would be standing meetings, meeting different people, uh, walking to class, you know. <laughs> and then the job transformed and we slowly mm. became computer operators. Uh, yeah. Around uh, the middle uh, 2000s, that decade, we would measure the fitness of our incoming students. It was interesting that those who had suddenly grown up to computers, there was a quantum shift in their fitness. They showed up at the university a little bit heavier than the previous uh, cohorts that we had been following. And uh, it was all related to uh, sitting uh, at the computer. Um, now that changed uh, in the last two or three years of my uh, uh, being at the university, but that was just so interesting, the link between uh, sitting and, you know, there's there's different books uh, now, uh, sitting is the new smoking and that kind of mm, thing. Yeah. There's, there, there's not a lot of merit <laughs> to justify sitting for long periods of time for a whole variety of reasons, but back health is one of them. Really interesting. So I do want to chat for a couple of minutes. I know that you have talked about the uh, the value of walking with a weighted pack. Can you explain a little bit of, of how that works in the context of, I think, some of the things that we've already spoken about, actually? Yes. Uh, well, again, it depends on the specific uh, pain pathway of an individual, but let's take a person who has a disc bulge. When they sit for 20 minutes or half an hour and they get out of the chair, many of them will notice that it's difficult to stand upright. 
their hips are cocked back and they have to spend a few seconds to pull their hips forward and release the tension that they're feeling in the front of the uh, the hips, for example, or the, or that they, they will report tight hip flexors, which may be tight or some of the nerves might be tight because of the, uh, the, the disc bulge. But interestingly enough, wearing a backpack unloads their spine. Now, this might seem paradoxical. What, you're putting on a backpack and that unloads my spine? Yes, and I'll explain this now. Um, when you're standing upright and if it's difficult to achieve that fully upright position, your back muscles, which work behind the spine, are acting like cranes, if you will, and cables to pull the spine up. They are very close to the spine, so they have a very small mechanical advantage. They're a wrench with a very short handle. So those muscles themselves are imposing compressive load down the spine. Now let's put on a backpack with, let's say, 10 or 15 pounds in the pack quite low. That weight is now behind the muscles. They act like muscles to pull the spine up with a much longer wrench handle. And when you do the engineering calculations, it unloads the spine. In other words, the back muscles don't need to contract as much. Their compressive load down the spine is now less, and you add a tiny bit of compressive load with the weight in the pack, but it has a gr much greater uh, mechanical advantage. So interestingly enough, when we ran experiments with people who had uh, disc bulges, we asked them to wear the backpack in the style that I've just described, and across from the university clinic, there used to be a nine-hole golf course. Go walk the undulating hills of the golf course with the backpack. The disc bulges, in many cases, are noticeably smaller after doing that. There's a little bit of a vacuuming effect with walking upright and over undulating ground. So there's the uh, first part of it, and I can talk about uh, stylistically walking, swinging the arms about the shoulders, which is a very uh, beneficial nerve flossing uh, procedure, which helps a lot of people who have uh, uh, sciatica, pains in their legs, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, let's go to that in one second, because I had one more follow-up question on the pack, which is, for people who are not suffering from back pain, it would seem to me, but please correct me if I'm wrong, that the one of the benefits of wearing that pack would also be to strengthen some of those, uh, those core muscles. And by core, I don't mean, you know, the four pack. Ah, now we get into the science of load carriage, and it's it's yeah. quite a story, actually. So if you're a, a backpacker, let's say, going for a walk, generally speaking, uh, the principles change now. The, the weight in the pack should be carried higher to get it up over the hips. Now you're cocked forward, but that is to satisfy the demand of carrying your supplies for a few days. So that's a different kind of uh backpack uh, uh example now if you're walking over rough ground you don't want the uh, weight to be high over your head or behind your head either it should be lower in your back because the pack is continually moving as you're stepping over rocks and uh and this kind of thing 
But um, actually, the uh, just to have a load, adding more mass to your torso, that can be a toss-up based on how you walk and uh, uh, the, the loads that you're trying to achieve to get the greatest adaptation, positive adaptation in your body. And, and that part of it is very specific. And uh, it, it would help to have uh, an assessment by someone who knew what they were doing with these mechanical things. So let's talk then a little bit about walking mechanics and the arm swing and, and some of that, which we haven't yet had an opportunity to get into. Right. Well, uh, many uh, people, again, in the demographic of your listenership, will uh, experience uh, pains into the buttocks, down the hamstrings. Uh, if they sit too long, their, their foot might uh, go to sleep or become numb when they're driving and that kind of thing. Um, if it turns out that the pathway is either a bit of nerve compression or a bit of nerve friction, uh, if they can get the nerves to flow, but not being stretched, uh, nerves have this curious ability to, to find their own pathway. If there's a disc bulge, an inflammation around the disc bulge, it's been shown that nerve flossing is uh, one of the most effective ways to clear out the inflammation. Well, as it turns out, one of the nicest, most gentle nerve flosses is to go for a walk stylistically in this way. Stand tall and now swing the arms about the shoulders, not the elbows, about the shoulders, uh, and a nice reciprocal walk as the left leg comes forward, the right leg goes forward, the right arm goes forward, and you reciprocate back and forth. So that's the, the principle of uh, nerve flossing. And of course, there are many uh, more uh, dedicated nerve flosses than that, but uh, it starts with walking. Um, there's also a component to all of this, Joyce, that is based on elastics. We are elastic linkages. Hold your arms stiff beside you and try and go for a walk. And you'll notice it's quite difficult to do. But when you swing the arms reciprocally to the legs, imagine you put the left leg forward and the right arm forward, you've stretched an elastic across your torso from your right shoulder, across your low back to the left gluteals and hips and down your leg. And then as you swing uh, your, uh, to go to the next uh, half gait cycle, the elastics store and recover elastic energy across the other side. And this storage and recovery of elastic energy is facilitated by the same tall posture that I was talking about earlier with nerve flossing. It puts the elastics, um, I mean, I don't want to get into discussions of elastic energy, but you have to tune the spring. The spring is tuned by good posture, and then it is facilitated by arm swing about the shoulders with a nice heel strike. So, Dr. McGill, is it all connected? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. Do you want to hear a fun little story? You know, Absolutely. I, I, I dedicated my life 
to probing and investigating the mechanisms of movement uh, and the spine. And yet I was uh, shown by one of my history colleagues who knew and studied the Roman scrolls. Uh, he came to one of my lectures about uh, posture and walking and nerve flossing and elastics. And then I went to one of his lectures where he was talking about the battle plans of Julius Caesar, where uh, he would encamp his Roman legion at position X. The enemy would send out a scout and know the position of the Romans, say it was 30 miles away, and report to their leaders saying the Roman legions are 30 miles away, we're safe tonight, we're going to stay in camp, we'll break camp in the morning and make our escape. Caesar would march his Roman legions through the night and have a very successful surprise attack. Now, the Roman legions also describe how to walk in the manner that I just described five minutes ago. Nice tall posture, heel to toe, uh, flow through the foot, and swinging the arms about the shoulders. So we think we've discovered all of this uh, only to find out that it was known over 2,000 years ago. The, the wisdom of the ancients is always just so surprising, right? The things that we knew, that they knew instinctively, that now we have the science to show they were right. It's pretty remarkable. It, it's amazing the things that I've come across in uh, the teachings of ancient martial arts, uh, some of the historical uh, things that military groups did three and four hundred years ago, and we wonder why did they do those practices? And then we find out now how potentiating and performance enhancing it was. I love this all so much. Well, we're coming to the end of our time, but I want to thank you so very, very much for joining me today. If people want to learn more about your work, where are the best places in the interwebs to find you and your team? Well, the, the best place is to uh, go to our website, backfitpro.com. And if they're interested in the book that you mentioned, uh, it's there. It's also on Amazon. But uh, I, I'm not very good at posting things on social media, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, I'm too busy. <laughs> but anyway, well, uh, the, the, the website. And then there, there are all sorts of uh, our clinicians who are around the world that know how to do a good uh, back assessment, et cetera. Uh, they, they have uh, links to those people as well. Uh, well, I mean this with all of my heart, Dr. McGill. The back mechanic, the book changed, changed my life. So I cannot recommend it highly enough and I cannot express to you how grateful I am to you for the work that you do and for joining us here today. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for all you do, uh, Joyce. As I said, I've, I've seen your uh, TED Talk and uh, your uh, YouTubes uh, and you're doing a fabulous thing. So keep walking, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.